Bible this evening, if you'll be turning with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, that's where we'll begin our study in just a moment of time, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And while you're getting your Bibles and getting settled, I want to take just a moment of time to express my appreciation for the invitation to be with you tonight. I'm so thankful for this congregation and the good work that you're doing in the Columbia area. So thankful for the Gwynn family and Brother Greg and the work that he's doing. I've appreciated so much his writings. I've used so many of his bulletin articles in my bulletin. I'm sure a lot of people wonder why I even write one every now and again. He does a great job and appreciate that. Good to have the Wildmans with us tonight. Brother Lee preaches at Hillview, and they're very near and dear to my heart. And so are the Maxies and others. I better quit because I might leave somebody out, and I've got enough enemies as it is. But if you have your Bible in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I'd like to read with you verses 10 and 11. Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. This evening, for just a few moments of our time, I'd like for us to look at the verse 11 and take note what the divine revelation says, and notice that Paul is warning the church at Corinth in this second epistle that Satan is out to deceive man. And he said, we must be careful lest we fall victim to his devices, lest he take advantage of us in some way. And when Paul is writing this epistle, he wants the people to understand that the devil is real. I wonder today how many people in our country really believe that Satan is real. I sometimes wonder how many of my brethren really believe the devil is real. But I'll tell you that when you read your Bible, you'll find that the evil one is confirmed by the writers of the divine book. And what I'm going to do this evening is not talk about the origins of the evil one, but I want to talk about some things the devil knows. And when we see what he knows, it should help us be on guard against his attack against our faith. When we recognize what his schemes and his devices are, and we recognize that He's trying to cost us our soul, then we can be on guard and we can put up our armor lest we fall victim to the devil. The first thing I'd like for you to do this evening is if you have your Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke and the 8th chapter. And when you come to the Gospel of Luke and the 8th chapter, notice that Jesus is told the parable of the sower or of the soils. And then, beginning at verse 11, Jesus explains that particular parable. And He said in verse 11, the seed is the Word of God. But notice with me in particular verse 12. He said, those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the Word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. If you have your Bible tonight, you might underscore, the devil comes and takes away the Word. Have you ever thought tonight that the devil knows when the Word of God is preached? When an individual gets up with the Bible, the Word of God, and without shame declares what God's Word says, I want you to understand the devil knows that. When one gets up and preaches the unsearchable riches of Christ, when one gets up and preaches the whole counsel of God, 
when one gets up and preaches all the glorious gospel that we can read about, the devil understands that. And notice what the devil will do. The devil will do whatever he can to keep that word from going into honest hearts. The Bible says that he tries to snatch the word from the heart of man. Lest man believe and be saved. The devil doesn't want man to believe that Jesus is the Christ. The devil doesn't want man to believe the gospel that has been proclaimed. The devil doesn't want one to be immersed into Christ for the remission of sins. And the devil will do whatever he can tonight to distract you. He'll do whatever he can when Brother Greg's up here proclaiming the Word of God to distract our minds and get our attention off what we should be focused on. And I'll tell you one thing tonight, without any doubt and without any controversy, the devil knows when the Word is preached and the devil will do all he can to snatch the Word out of your heart. Have you ever thought that the devil knows when the Word of God is proclaimed? But if you have your Bible for just a moment, if you would kindly, turn with me to 1 Corinthians in the 7th chapter. And when you come to 1 Corinthians in the 7th chapter, I recognize there's a second thing the devil knows. If you have your Bible to save some time, drop down to verse 5. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and in verse 5, Paul is giving a warning in this first epistle to the church at Corinth in regard to the marriage relationship. And he says, Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan, underscore Satan, does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now I'll tell you something else the devil knows. The devil knows how to destroy a marriage. The devil knows how to corrupt the married life. And the devil will do everything he can to keep a spouse from rendering due affection one another. And he will do whatever he can to tempt families and to tempt couples not to be what they ought to be in the home life. And notice that Paul's not talking about illness or one who has to travel for a job. But Paul is saying that you do not deprive one another. And he said you'd only do that with consent that you give yourself to fasting and prayer, but then you come back together again. You know something, my friend, the devil knows? The devil knows how to destroy a marriage. And not only does he know how to destroy a marriage, the devil knows how to destroy the home life. If you read your Bible in the Ephesian letter in the 5th chapter and the 6th chapter, you remember that the Bible tells us the roles God has given us. The Bible says that the man is to be the one that leads the home and to love his wife as Christ loved the church. That the wife is to submit to the husband. And then you remember it says that the children are to honor their father and mother. And you know tonight, my friend, the devil's doing a masterful job of keeping us from doing the roles God has given us. He's doing a masterful job at destroying the home life. Not just out in the world, but even in local churches. You'll find individuals that just become frustrated and they don't keep God's law concerning marriage. And I want you to go back and look at what the Bible says. And Paul says, you be careful lest Satan tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But then if you have your Bible, turn with me again, if you will, back to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 
And when you come back to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, notice, if you will, kindly that Paul understands that sometimes it's easy not to forget it. When Paul is writing this epistle, he begins to explain to them that they need to forgive a particular individual who had a lot of sorrow in verse 7. He said, you ought rather to forgive and comfort this individual. This individual is probably the one that was withdrawn from in 1 Corinthians 5 who had been with his father's wife. But now the man has repented. Now the man has shown sorrow. Now the man is broken because of his sin. And he wants to make his life right. He's asked for forgiveness. Now what do you say? Oh no, you've committed a low sin. We won't forgive you. Paul said that's not the attitude. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, you forgive that man. He said in verse 8, you reaffirm your love to him. You recognize that he fell, but you also recognize you can fall. And you help that man get back up and restore him, and you help that man in his walk with Christ. Paul said in verse 10, Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. And he said, I want you to understand we are to be forgiving people. That when a person repents of their sin, when an individual confesses their wrong, they're going to change their life, they're going to change their way. Paul says that you forgive that one. Do you remember what the warning of Jesus was? In Matthew chapter 6, He said, If we're not willing to forgive one who sinned against us, then our Father will not forgive us. Have you ever thought about it's easy sometimes to sit back with a self-righteous attitude and look at someone who's fallen and act like we will never fall? But what was it Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12? He who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. I'll tell you something, my beloved friend. We ought not ever get a self-righteous attitude and become haughty in our attitude, but we need to look at the individual who's trying to make his life right, and we need to restore him and reaffirm our love for him. But then if you take your Bible for just a moment, turn with me to the book of Acts and the fifth chapter. And when you come to the book of Acts and the fifth chapter, you'll find another thing the devil knows. Not only does the devil know that it's hard to forgive at times, but in Acts chapter 5, the devil knows it's convenient to lie. In Acts chapter 4, you'll remember Barnabas sold some of his land, and he brought the proceeds, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. But in Acts chapter 5, a certain man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira, they sold a possession. They kept back part of the proceeds, which they were welcome to do, and they brought a certain part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. The problem was they lied. They were giving the impression they were giving all of the proceeds. They were acting like they were like Barnabas, selling all of this land and giving it the money to the poor. And look at what Peter says in verse 3. Ananias, why has Satan, underscore Satan, filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. I want you to think about, my friend, he said, why did you allow Satan to influence you? And then look in verse 4, while it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. 
You know, my friend, the devil knows when it's easy to lie. The devil will put every temptation he can before us that we deceive one another. And I'll tell you, the greatest deception is living a lie. You know, we can come in on Sunday morning all dressed up and we can act like we're righteous and that we're doing good, but I'll tell you, the definition of hypocrisy that has stood out the most to me is when you see somebody and they're not quite themselves on Sunday. Because Monday through Saturday, they live a completely different life. And I want to know, my beloved friend, are we living a lie? Have we convinced our brethren that we're living fine, that we're doing good, that we're living for God, but Monday through Friday and Saturday, we don't, we live for ourselves? Because I'll tell you something, my friend, the devil will do whatever he can to get you to lie, not only to others, but to yourself. Open your Bible, if you will, to 1 John chapter 1. And when you come to 1 John chapter 1, notice what John says. John addresses this in a very clear manner. In 1 John chapter 1, look at verse 6. He says, If we say, that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. We're lying to others. We say one thing, we do another. But if we walk in the light as He's in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. Then look at verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Not only do we lie to our others, we lie to ourselves. But he said if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then he says in verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We lie to God. And notice all of it has to do with recognizing our own sinfulness. But there's something else I want to bring to your mind. If you have your Bible, if you will, turn with me to the book of James in the fourth chapter. And when you come to the book of James in the fourth chapter, notice, if you will, that James writes to us and he lets us know something else the devil understands. And that is, from verse 7, when he's resisted. In verse 7, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, you remember when Paul wrote to Timothy, he told Timothy there's some things he should flee. Flee youthful lust. Flee adultery. Flee those things. But notice that he says in verse 7 of James 4 that if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. By resisting the devil and submitting to God, we draw near to God, and God draws near to us. Do you recognize that when we put on the shield of faith and when we do as God has told us to do, that the devil knows? Do you recognize the devil understands that we're following God? He understands when we're near to God and he understands when we submit to God Almighty. But if you have your Bible again, look if you will in the book of Jude. And I want you to understand something else the devil knows. Look, if you will, in the book of Jude in the 16th verse. He said, These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. Where did we hear that at? 
back in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, did we not? Verse 11. Satan seeking to gain advantage. Well, here are people who are using their words to gain advantage. They're grumblers and complainers. They're walking according to their own lust, but they flatter people so that they can gain advantage. But look at what he says in verse 17. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. You know what else the devil knows? The devil knows how to divide a church. And you know how he gets it done? Through complainers, through gossipers, through people that are walking according to their own ungodly lust, through people who are sensual, through people who say, I want my way regardless, through people who do not look out for what's best for the kingdom, but they look out for what their desire is. You know, I've seen a lot of church division, and you know what I've come to recognize? That most divisions not over doctrine. You know what a lot of division goes over? Personality. Because somebody, somewhere, didn't get their way on something. And sometimes I look around and I think about how we can be so self-centered about something that we ought to remember is about God and not us. Tonight, we didn't come here for any other reason than to learn more about God and to praise Him. This is about God. And if it's about anything else, my friend, then it's wrong. If we make it about anything else, it's wrong. This better be about God. But that brings up something else. Open your Bible to the Revelation letter and the 12th chapter. Now, when you come to the Revelation letter and the 12th chapter, look at what again the devil knows. In Revelation chapter 12, look at verse 12. Look at the latter part to save some time. For the devil has come down to you having great wrath. Why is the devil angry? Because he knows. What does he know? He has a short time. Hell is not the devil's kingdom. Matthew 25, 41 tells us hell is his punishment. The only kingdom the devil has is this world here for a time, as it said in 2 Corinthians 4, 4. He's the God of this age, the God of this world. But this is the only kingdom he'll ever have. When the time comes that the earth is to be ended and judgment comes, the devil is going to be cast into everlasting darkness. That's his punishment. And the devil is angry because he knows his time is short. And he only has a limited amount of time to try to have as many followers as he can because of his pride, because of his unaccepting of God's power and of God's greatness and of God's authority. He seeks to have his own. I want to take that and I want to make application to lesson yours. First, I want to ask you. Do you know when the gospel's being preached? You know something? In a lot of pulpits today, people can get up and they can tell you story after story after story that'll just make you cry and make you laugh. And there's nothing wrong with an illustration from time to time, but I want to tell you something. 
Nothing will convert a person to Christ except the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we don't know when the gospel is being preached, then we need to get back into the book. It used to be say that members of the church were people of the book. I'm fearful that we're getting away from the book. May God help us get back to the book. Secondly, how's your marriage? When was the last time that you looked at your spouse and you expressed great love to them? You know, if we're not careful, we spend a lot of time at work with people that are not our spouse. And sometimes we start talking to them and then we come home and we get in the bed and we look over at them and they're asleep and their mouth is open and they're drooling and we're thinking, what was I thinking? Then they look over at us and we're snoring and we're grunting and they're going, what was I thinking? And you know what happens? We start taking for granted the one that we made a vow to. And I'll tell you something. Your love for your spouse should grow every day. You know why my love for my spouse grows every day? Because she puts up with an awful lot with me. And I'll tell you something. I'm thankful. And I hope you're thankful that you have a spouse. My father lost my mother almost eight years ago. And in the past eight years, I've just seen him wander from one place to another. Just looking for there's an emptiness there. Third, are you living a lie? You may be able to fool me, and you may be able to fool others, but you can't fool God. And young men and young ladies, my heart's desire tonight is that you don't live a lie. I'm so proud that you're here tonight, that you've come from a distance to listen to the Word of God, that your heart is young, your heart is tender. But while your heart is young and tender, make sure that you don't go into a world life with your eyes closed. I want you to go into the world thinking, what would God have me do? Paul said it, or uh, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 12:1, "Remember thy Creator in the days of thy youth." Fifth. Are you willing to forgive? I don't know about you, but I need a lot of forgiveness in life. And every time I bow my head and I ask my God to forgive me, I'm reminded I need to forgive others. Next, don't let the devil divide this church. Don't let your own desires and your own personal opinions do something that would cause the body of Christ to be torn asunder. Now, in matters of doctrine, stand. Do not misunderstand me. Do not misrepresent me. I'm not saying ever compromise the truth. Truth must be preached if it means that everyone left but two people. But I will say this, if it's over something like the color of the carpet, then I hope you would give up and say, you know what, we'll do what's best for the king. And finally, remember our time is short. The devil knows his. I think sometimes we forget that. 
But James said, our life is but a vapor. We're here for a short time. And you know what? We become so distracted. The devil is so good at getting our attention on other things that we become so distracted by the world that we don't stay focused on God. My sons are here, Jackson and Sam. My youngest son, Sam, is 10 years old and he has cystic fibrosis. He has to take three hours of treatment a day and when he's sick, five hours. One day when he was taking his treatment, he asked me, he said, Daddy, will I have cystic fibrosis in heaven? I said, no, son, not in heaven. He said, I can't wait. You know what the problem with a lot of us is? We've taken our eyes off heaven. And we want to avoid ever going there because we're so happy here. I want to tell you, this world, with all its sorrows and troubles and trials, it'll be worth being a child of God so that one day we can be in heaven where we can be with God and there be no more sin and there be no more Satan and there be no more sorrow and there be no more tears. And my prayer is that everyone in this auditorium will be around that throne singing praises to the One who redeemed us. Because the devil knows if he can just get one of us. He's taken a soul that is precious. And when Brother Greg's preaching his heart out and he's letting you know what we need to do, listen to him because he cares for you. What we want to do is make sure we're ready when it's our time to go. Can you say, I can't wait. May God help us. If you're here and you need to be baptized into Christ or you need to be restored, our prayer is tonight you would do so as together we stand and sing. We cordially invite you.